my pain started back when I was young because I didn't have a dad. So I've struggled with that. And it's only been through the step study that I've um, actually admitted how much that that affected me. Um, I've, I've struggled with um, having a relationship with God because of it, because he's supposed to be your father. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any thing to base that on and it is what that means I don't know and so although I had a relationship with God it's not I always felt like it was something wasn't right I, I uh, I've never prayed um, to the father you know it's always God or Lord or Jesus or whatever but never to father because I didn't have um, I never called anybody father or daddy and so that's foreign to me. And, you know, then um, going through the divorce, we were married for 24 years, and um, it came as a surprise to me. I didn't think that we had that bad of a marriage. You know, everybody struggles, but it was, you know, it was a surprise. Um, that was probably the lowest point I'd ever been. Um, I'd never lived on my own, and... Um, I mean, he, he took everything away, and a lot of the things that I struggled with, um, I knew I was going to be okay, because I'd always been okay, and that was just, that's just how I dealt with things, it's like no big deal, but um, that was a big deal, and that was probably the first thing that I ever admitted that was a big deal in my life, and, um, it, it, you know, I, I spent a lot of time crying, and I, I did go to the Bible, and um, we had not been in church for a while, and then and in January, before he asked for the divorce, I finally decided that I was going to go back to church, and that I didn't care if he went or not, I had to do it, and that was my saving grace, had I not done that, because I'd gotten in a Bible study, and so I did turn to God, unfortunately, I didn't always stay there, but I did try, and... Um, um, but it was, it was really, you know, it was hard because, it, you know, you mourn not only the loss of what, what we had, but what, what I would never have. And I'll never have a 50th anniversary, you know, I don't think, but <laughs> um, I wanted so bad to um, stand up at Ricky's wedding and say, it's, it's not going to be easy, but you can do it, and we're proof. And he took that away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, the things, he took the house away from me. I mean, we could, I couldn't live there by myself. And it was all the things that we, I lost, and it was devastating. Right before Jeff and I started dating, um, I, I hit the bottom, and I had totally, um, I literally moved away from the church that I went to, I had changed jobs, um, and I was uh, isolating myself from everybody. Um, I did go to church. I never stopped going to church, but I changed churches, and this church was a big church, and I could go and, and hide, and um, and I would sit most Sundays and just cry because I knew I wasn't um, in God's will. I knew I wasn't doing the things that I should be doing. And, um, but I couldn't let go. I couldn't let go of the relationship that was keeping me in that spot. And, um, 
you know, he, he finally broke up with me and I hit bottom and said, I'll never do this again. I'll never do it again. And I don't care if I had, I got to the point where I said, I, if I had to go for the rest of my life, I will. Um, but I'm never going back to where I was. Recovery is definitely for everybody because, um, no matter what, something in your past is making you who you are today, good or bad. And, you know, if you're one of the lucky ones and one step steady, well, you know, you can figure it out. Well, good for you. You know, uh, watching that interview again, it just makes me think of a couple of things. Number one, um, you won't make the, yeah, Jeff said, here it comes. You won't make 50th anniversary because Jeff will never make it that long. Jeff's ancient now. Um, you know, he walked the, he was, he was part of the Israelites leaving Egypt. Um, and uh, he said, I'll make it now just for spite. And the other thing was, you know, we, those of us who, who know Jeff, um, Teresa said that, that she hit bottom before she started dating Jeff. I think maybe bottom was... Okay, all right, we'll go there. We'll accept that and we'll move on. Um, <laughs> no, that's right, baby. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, try to get back to God. Second John 1.8 says this, Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. One of the biggest fears that I have as your pastor is that you will lose the spiritual ground that you've gained. Some of you, I've watched you make these huge strides towards Christ, and I see God reflected in your life. And my biggest fear is that at some point you'll make some choices that will derail you, and, and you'll, you'll get off in a ditch somewhere. And I don't want to see that happen. You see, we're seven years old as a church. We started in 2002. And I've seen tons of people come through the doors of our church. And a lot of people have said to me at, at some point, man, I'm, I'm tired of doing life my way. I've done it my way. It does not work. I've got to change and I want to follow God. And many of those people did that. And, and somewhere along the line, though, some boneheaded choices took them off in the ditch. Some of them, now I got to say, some people that have said, I want to follow Christ, they are still to this day following Christ. There's, there's some folks who have moved away from Palestine. They're in other cities. They're serving Christ. There's still one family that for five years they've been gone. They still send a check every Sunday or every month to New Life Community Church. I go out and I get it in the mail and I am blown away at their faithfulness every month. They don't even live in in the state, and they still contribute to new life because they saw God work in their lives and some of their family members' lives, and they want to keep on contributing, uh, even though they've been gone for five years. There are some people that have come to our church, and they've gotten their lives, uh, they are plugged in at other churches now. They just, for whatever reason, they said, we, we believe God is moving us. There's some of them in this town. They're serving Christ, and they're following Christ, other churches in this town. And we say, yay, God, because we are not in competition with other churches. We say, we will see you in heaven. We'll wave at you when we go around town. We'll, we'll talk about things and we'll see you in heaven because we want you to be plugged in. But the, the thing that really bothers me though is there are people who were serving and giving and living for Christ and they quit. There's some in this city that I will see them. I'll run into them from time to time. They'll say things like, I know I need to be back in church. I just can't do it. Stuff has just got me down. I can't do it. And it kills me 
that there are people who know the truth about Christ and know that God, that they, that God wants them to live a different life, a better life, and they're not living it. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at what Jesus Christ said will help you maintain your spiritual momentum, will help you grow spiritually. And, and the, the growth, this is called the growth choice. This is the seventh choice that we're looking at in our series. And here's what it states. I reserve a daily time with God for Bible reading, self-examination, and prayer in order to know God and to gain the power to follow His will. Here's the key. Spiritual growth is a choice. Now, I want you to think about your spiritual lives. I want you to think about where you are in this journey towards Christ. And if you're not where you used to be, if you're not on fire for Christ like you used to be, if there, there are some issues in your life that are holding you back, I want you to look in the mirror today because it is not anyone else's fault. If you used to be on fire for Christ and now you're not, it's your fault. Christ didn't move. Someone may have betrayed you in this church. It's not their fault. You have moved. Now, the betrayal may be their fault, but it's not their fault that you're no longer on fire for Christ. If you're stuck in the past and you're not forgiving people and you're a bitter person, that's not their fault. That's your fault for choosing to hang on to that. So quit blaming other people. Today is all about you. Spiritual growth is your choice, not anyone else's choice. No one else can make that for you. And, and if, you're, if you're thinking that you're not where you used to be, and, and if, you, if you continue on the path that you're on right now, I want you to think about where that's going to take you one year from now. When we sit here one year from today, will you be any closer to Christ? Will your life look more like Jesus Christ than it does today? And if you answer, truthfully, if you answer and say, I don't know, the answer is no. Because you never stay neutral in the Christian life. You are either moving towards Christ or you are dying spiritually. Those are your only two options. So some of you need to today say, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to give up some of my persistent sinful habits. I want to give up my hurts. I do not want to be defined by my past. I want to be defined by Christ's future for me. It's a choice that you have to make, and I'm hoping that you'll make it today. Until you make that choice, you will not grow spiritually. You'll be stuck moving backwards, dying spiritually. It's that simple. Now, today we're going to look at a whole lot of verses, and the majority of these verses have a word in there that, that's going to be highlighted and, and underlined, and it's the word continue. Look at this first thing, Second Peter 3.18. Continue to grow in grace and in knowledge of, the Lord Jesus, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, continue means that you've started something that was benefiting you, and you're continuing to do that. You keep doing something that benefits you spiritually. If going to church helps you spiritually, you keep going to church. And don't even tell me about this whole thing. Oh, well, we can worship, you know, out there fishing. You can, but you don't. You're thinking about fishing. You're thinking about the hook you just got stuck in your thumb. You're not praising the Lord. You tell me when fish don't bite that you're praising Jesus and you're worshiping. That's garbage. If Celebrate Recovery helps you grow, you keep going to Celebrate Recovery. If small groups help you spiritually, you keep going to small groups. If God has gifted you in an area, and by the way, if you're a follower of Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift by God the Father. 
And you want to find somebody who's frustrated. That's someone who is not serving using what God has gifted them to do. So if you're gifted by God, you keep on doing what God gifted you to do. And you do that because it's right before God, not because it's convenient. It's not convenient serving God. It's not even always fun serving God. But you do it because it's right before God. Not because it's convenient. So this could also be called the momentum choice. Because here's, here are some non-negotiable steps that you've got to employ in your life if you're going to keep the spiritual momentum going. First step is daily time with God. If you've read the Bible at all, you know that throughout the Scripture, we're taught that you have to be connected to God in order to have the life of God. Now, um, a few weeks ago, my wife, Janie, my beautiful wife, got this new mixer. Anybody seen one of these things? You know what, Brian? Somebody said KitchenAid. Now, you have to understand, my wife is a cook. She was, she was a home economics teacher for four years before we had children. She says she retired from teaching. She didn't retire from life. She's, she works harder than, than anybody I know, um, raising our kids and doing uh, homeschooling, things like that. But for 18 years, when we got married, some people gave us those little bitty mixers. And when Janie cooks, Janie cooks. And so she would stand in the, in the kitchen. She was burning out those little electric handheld mixers all the time. And you, I could hear it from another room. I just killed another one. And so then uh, when her mom moved into the, the nursing home, she got her mom. So for 18 years, she was using all these little ones. Then she got her mom's that was about 30 years old. Clacked together, you know, but at least it had power. They used to build tools that had power. Now they just build things that are, you know, throwaway because that's, that's job security. You're going to come by more if they break. So anyway, she'd buy, and there'd be smoke coming out. You know, she'd say, one of these days, this sucker's going to die. Well, so she'd been saving some money and, and she uh, started looking around and she said, I think I want a KitchenAid. Because back when she was a home ec teacher, you know, she just spent the school district's money and she had the nicest equipment and she loved the KitchenAid uh, mixers. And so she buys one and she brings it home. Dude, you'd have thought I gave her a diamond ring. She brings the thing in. She sits it down. She pets it. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. She calls it her baby. The first time she had to leave it home alone, she kissed it. I'm not exaggerating. And she talks about my baby. I love my baby. Every time she used it, man, and it will crank some stuff, man. And every time she used it, I just love my baby. Now, let's just imagine that if Janie forgot one real important part about her baby. What if she never plugged it in? It wouldn't work. And this would be some kind of expensive paperweight. This sucker is heavy duty. You need a weapon. If you can lift it, you could knock someone out with this thing. But if it's not plugged in, you're wasting all of its potential. Well, you're pretty smart. You're pretty quick. The reason you're not reaching your potential in Christ, you don't plug into him on a daily basis. The reason your Christian walk is weak and pathetic is because your time with God is non-existent on a daily basis. If you're just getting fed on, on Sunday mornings, that's like going to a buffet. Let's go to Ryan's once a week and not eat the rest of the week. 
That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And, and this applies to any relationship that you have. If your marriage is sucking wind, I'm willing to bet that you don't spend time with your spouse. You don't hang out with them. There's no joy. There's no life there. It's because you're not spending time together. You remember, some of you can't remember this far, but do you remember when you were dating? When you first said, wow, this person's got it. Janie was praying the other night. I almost laughed out loud because you know, we take turns praying each night and we hold hands you know, right before we go to sleep. And she was praying and, and she, she said, God, you know, it, it just hurts me to see marriages that aren't working. And, and so she said, I pray that I would see Doug again with those 15-year-old eyes because that's when she first spotted me and told her best friend she was going to marry me. Now, I did not take her out because that was illegal, you know, back then. I was too much older. But once she got of age, I was like, hey, this girl's cute, you know. But she prayed, she said, I want to see Doug through those 15-year-old eyes again. And, and I'm going, yes, I want her to see because I don't look like I used to. Um, Lord, please let her not see what's there. Let her see what she used to see. What you did to catch your mate, you do to keep your mate. Date your mate. Janie and I have an absolute blast when we hang out together. We went ballroom dancing the other night and had a ball Pun intended. We laughed. I messed up so bad. And we just laughed. We didn't care what anybody else thought. Well, if you're not spending time with someone, you're not going to be close to them. And this is true with your relationship with God. It just makes sense. You have to spend time with God in order to be close to Him, to feel His love, to sense His presence in your life, and to understand the direction He wants for your life. 1 John 2, 28 says, Now, dear, dear children... Continue to live in fellowship with Christ. There's that word again, continue. Do you know what the hardest thing in my life... I'm a pastor. I've been, I've been uh, some type of pastor, youth pastor or, or senior pastor, for 26 years now. You know what... Do the math. I started when I was 12. Um, you know what the hardest thing in my life is to do on a consistent basis? Spend time with God every day. You want to know why? Because all of hell is lined against me doing that. Satan realizes that I am ineffective and I have no power if I'm not connected to God. And he realizes that about you. He doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care how many good things you do in your life. If you're not connected with God, you've got no power. And that's where he wants you. If you're too busy for God, it's real simple. You're too busy. You weren't put on this planet to do your to-do list. You were put on this planet to know and love God. And if you're not spending time with God on a regular basis, you are missing the number one reason you were born. The number one purpose of your life. People say, oh, I just need to know my purpose. Your number one purpose is to know God. And if you're not spending time with Him, you are missing the number one purpose in your life. When Jesus was asked, what's the number one goal? What's the number one commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, love your neighbors. It's a lot easier to love my neighbors if I'm hanging out with God. It's a lot easier to love you and for you to love me if you're hanging out with God. 1 John 3, 6 says, Everyone who lives in union with Christ does not continue to sin. This means when I'm connected with God, I have power to resist temptation. 
I have everything I need to grow and to resist temptation. But when I'm not spending time with God and you're not spending time with God, Satan wins because he's cut us off from the same power that raised Christ from the dead. That's what you need in your life is resurrection power. But if you're not spending time with God on a daily basis, you're not getting it. The reason why you keep falling into persistent sins and personal weaknesses and painful past is because you don't spend time with God. And if you don't get this one, you might as well just check out, go on home, because the rest of these aren't going to matter, these non-negotiables. But since you're hanging out here, and I haven't dismissed you yet, let's go on to number two. Fill my mind with truth. Do you know that computers can't function properly with the wrong information? Y'all figured that out yet? I love those Mac and PC commercials. Because, you know, Windows 7 just came out. Oh, it's not going to have any of the problems that Windows Vista did. Windows Vista, oh, it's not going to have any of the problems that Windows XP did. You know, whatever you put into a computer is what's going to come out. It can't work better than the software, the programming that it has. But it's the same way with your mind. You put garbage in your mind, and, and there's plenty out there, by the way. Then what you're going to get out of your mind is garbage. You put in poison like violence or pornography, evil stuff, that's what's going to come out of your mouth and your mind. You put in brain food, well, that's good. You can read and you can learn some stuff. There's some cool stuff to learn on this planet. We love Mythbusters. We love Discovery Channel. We like to watch that stuff. You put in the Word of God, that's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when you fill your mind with his truth, you can overcome a lot of garbage in your past. You've got to fill your mind with the word of God. And, and look what this next verse says. James 1.25, the half-brother of Jesus said this, to be truly happy, and that word happy means satisfied or fulfilled. It's the same word that Jesus used in, in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. To be satisfied or fulfilled. He says to be truly satisfied, people are, the truly satisfied people are those who are, who carefully study God's perfect law that makes people free, and they what? Continue to study it. They do not forget what they heard, but they what? Obey. Sorry, I tricked you. I didn't mean to. See, it's not enough to just study. We got more Bible studies in this city than you could shake a stick at. How come we don't have so many Christians not only talking about Christ, but living a life that is so attractive to other people that they're drawn to the God that Christians say they serve. It's because we have so much knowledge that we are not putting into practice. If we did half of what we already know, this place would be packed. Because people say, I got to know. I got to know who that, that person is they serve. Satisfaction in life come from studying and obeying God's word regularly, continuously. And, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to keep saying it as long as I have breath. Blessing from God always comes after obedience. God never blesses you prior to your obedience. God says, I want you to do this. When you obey, that's when you experience blessing. Don't even bother praying for God's blessing if you're openly living in sin. Because you're asking God to do something that's contrary to His will. Contrary to His character. God can't bless you if you're rebelling against Him. He won't. He says, obey first, we'll get those things in line, then the blessing comes. 
Well, then look what Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32. He says, if you fill your mind with God's truth, you got two more benefits. If you continue to obey my teaching, you are truly my followers. Then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So if you continue, there's that word again. This is the growth choice. If you continue making the growth choice, if you choose to fill your mind with God's truth, then you are, it proves you are his disciple, which means you're his follower, you're his child, which means you have eternity in heaven. It proves that. But it also says you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You experience freedom in your heart today from knowing God's word and obeying that And you experience God's heaven for eternity in the future simply by knowing and obeying God's word. You see, inside your mind, there's there's two scales. There is a scale, and on one side is all the negative things, and on the other side is all the positive things, the evil thoughts and the good thoughts. The more negative stuff you get in your life, the more that's what you're going to think. That's the, The more that's what you're going to dwell on. The, the, ups, the opposite side of that is the more truth, the more positive you get in your life, that's what you're going to begin to dwell on. Well, where do the thoughts come from? Have you ever thought about that? Because if you get too many negative thoughts in your life, negative, 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 you know what? We have a word for that. It's called depression. If you're depressed, you've got so much negative going on in your mind that you can't even see the positive. You can't even hear the voice of truth speaking to you. Because you dwell on it. Where's that negative come from? Well, one place it comes from is you. You talk to yourself more than anybody else does. And some of you have been repeating lies that you were told since you were a child. Some of you do not believe that you're worth Christ dying on the cross. You can't accept that because somebody told you you were dumb or you were ugly or you were stupid or you were a moron. Somebody told you that and you've, in the back of your mind, you've latched onto that. And it's a lie from hell. God says, you are so valuable that I sent my son. That's the truth. But you got this negative and you're listening to it. Another place it comes from is all the stuff you put in your mind. There's a lot of evil out there. You listen to to songs that talk about adultery and, and sinning and just debauchery. Debauchery is anything that dishonors God. Debauchery means you've, you've gone so far over the edge that even, even people who don't know God look at you and go, wow, man, you messed up. You put all that in your mind, what's going to come out? That's what's going to come out. But you, you do the opposite. You put God's word in there and you put enough. Eventually you get back to where this, okay, I'm, I'm not depressed, but, but I'm, not, I'm also not living this positive life, and then you keep on putting the truth in, God's truth in, and eventually the truth wins out. And then you're set free from your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups. Does this make sense to anyone? Thank you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You put more truth in there than, than the negative. You don't hang on to the lies. The lies come from Satan, from hell. You put the truth in there. Third thing, non-negotiable. If you want to grow and and maintain your momentum, is admit failures quickly. I've never met anyone, I don't think there's one exists besides Jesus Christ, who goes through life with an unbroken string of successes. Never has anything bad happen. No suffering, no struggle, no sin. And many times, the road to wealth... And at, not wealth, health and security 
is kind of like three steps forward, two steps back. And, and there's a name for that process. It's called relapse. God will allow you to relapse again and again and again until you finally realize that, that you can't do it on your own. He'll let you fail or relapse one time or 200 times or 2,000 times until you say, I can't do it, God, by myself. And by the way, that's the first step. That's the first choice we said. I can't. You want to be God. That's why you keep making choices that go against God's word and you keep ending up in relationships that suck. Go back to the process. You're not listening to God. You're not hanging out with God on a daily basis. You're not in His Word on a daily basis. You're not praying on a daily basis. You're not filling your mind with truth on a daily basis. You can't possibly know God's will apart from God's Word. So you've got to be connected. And here's the thing. If you don't keep your guard up, and that means continue to do what's right, this growth choice, then you can easily fall back into your old self-defeating defeating, uh, patterns. And this is what we call relapse. The alcoholic starts drinking again. The overeater regains the weight. The gambler returns to the casino. The workaholic fills up the schedule again. The guy who struggles with pornography figures out how to get some some, uh, pornographic images, either on the internet or through a magazine. We tend to repeat the patterns of our past. We slip back into our old hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And see, no, no matter what our issues are, relapse always follows the same pattern. And I'm going to run through this very quickly. There's four C's to relapse. And you may just want to write this down. I didn't put that on there. There's four phases to relapse. This is why you keep going back to the old things. Number one is complacency. Relapse begins the moment we get comfortable. We start to think, I have that whipped in my life. One of the reasons in AA that you identify yourself as as an alcoholic is to remind you that as long as you have breath, you're going to struggle with that issue. And in recovery, we don't call you an alcoholic. We say we're a believer in Christ, which that's our identity, a Christian who struggles with and then whatever your issue is that you struggle with. Because your identity is in Christ. That's the truth. But when we start to say, I can handle this on my own, we stop praying about it. We stop uh, working on it. We stop confessing it to others. That's where complacency sets in. The second thing is confusion. Because the moment you start thinking, I can handle it, that's when you start to rationalize. You start thinking, uh, playing these mental games, and you think, maybe my problem wasn't all that bad. And you forget how painful it was because your mind is confused. Reality becomes fuzzy, and we think, oh, well, I can, I can handle this. Third step, phase three, is compromise. When we get to this phase, we go back to the place of temptation. Wherever it was, we go back there. We return to the risky situation that got us in trouble in the first place. Whether it's the bar, the mall, Baskin-Robbins, the internet, pornography, we go back to the place where we have struggled in the past. The gambler goes back to the casino and says, oh, well, let's, let's go to Vegas just for the shows. They have good shows there. Nobody buys it, do they? But when we place ourselves in risky situations, it is just a matter of time. Happens every time. Just a matter of time before we make bad choices. And that leads to C number four, catastrophe. This is where we actually give in to the old hurt, habit, or hang-up. The hate comes back, the resentment returns, or we fall back into a bad behavior. And here's the thing. Listen to me. The catastrophe is not when relapse happened. Relapse happens all the way back at complacency. When I think 
I'm big enough to handle it. I have to put stuff in my life to keep me from repeating old patterns. You have to put stuff in your life that keep you... And it's not about all these rules and regulations. I mean, guys, if you struggle on the internet, there ought to be some type of internet filter on your computer. And every guy I know that struggles again begins to think, oh, I don't need that anymore. Let's take that off because I don't need that anymore. Complacency. Just a matter of time. You, you go to the bar. If you struggle with alcohol, you go to the bar. You just might eat the nuts. But just stay there long enough. And eventually you're going to make those choices. Satan knows us. So what do we do? Okay, if I want to get out of this whole pattern of my past, what do I do? Admit it quickly. Don't, don't mess around with shame and guilt. We were at a conference a few weeks ago in, uh, in Atlanta, and Josh Hamilton was there. Everybody know Josh Hamilton? Anybody know what happened to Josh Hamilton this past January? Josh came out of drugs and alcohol. He relapsed. And so the guy that was interviewing Josh said, man, let's just, let's just throw it out there and open. And Josh said, man, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. He said, what I did was wrong. And he said, let me tell you why I did that. Because he went and he drank and he was hanging out with girls and, and God knows what all happened. I don't know. He didn't share all that, but he said, let me tell you why I was in that bar, why I got drunk. Because he said, I'm the type of person, I can't just have one or two. I'm going to drink 13 or 14. And he said, so I put myself in that position when I quit having my daily time with God. I mean, these are, these are the steps he said he went through. I quit having my daily time with God. I quit talking to my friends, my accountability partners. And before I knew it, I was in the midst of compromise and catastrophe. It happens. So what do we do? Admit it quickly. Confess it as soon as possible. Look at Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. If you hide your sins, you will not succeed. You want to know why you won't succeed? Because God opposes you. When you hide your sins, you're not really hiding them from anybody, by the way. But when you do that, you are in opposition to God because He won't bless openly rebellious sinners. But look at the other side. If you confess and reject them, you will receive mercy. So if you want to succeed, the key's right there. Admit stuff quickly. Don't hide it. Well, what does God do when I, when I come to Him with my relapses? Is God the type that says... You're back here the 9,999th time with that sin. I've already forgiven you 9,999 times. Can't you think of a new one? That's not God. That is not what you see in Scripture. Because in Scripture, it says that God never tires of forgiving. Look at one, uh, Psalm 103, 3 and 4. This is a psalm of David. Someone who knew something about sinning. And look what he says. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He saves my life from the grave and loads me with love and mercy. Not criticizes me with judgment and scorn. He blesses me with love and mercy. Because God gives me what I need, not what I deserve. If you've been stumbling in an area, one of the things that, that you have this natural attraction to do you just need to come to God and say one more time, God, it's me again, God, and I'm struggling, and I need some help. And, and the Bible says that God is near to the brokenhearted. Now, this does not mean that you just openly rebel and you say, God has to forgive me. No, forgiveness is all tied to your heart condition. You humbly admit it, then the Bible says God draws near to the brokenhearted, and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. It all depends on your heart condition. Number four, 
run from temptation. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Sin happens when we give in to temptation. You're not responsible for the thoughts you have. You're responsible for what you do with the thoughts that you have. You see, when God gives you an idea, we call that inspiration or uh, revelation. When Satan gives you an idea, we call it temptation. What What you do at that point determines whether it's going to be sin or not. And by the way, let me just explain very quickly the difference between attraction and lust. Attraction is not a sin. Lust is. It's normal for both men and women to be attracted to beauty. A woman sees a good-looking guy, he's hot. It's like when you look at me. You say, short, stocky, bald men are hot. I just can't keep my eyes off of them. That's natural attraction. There's nothing you can do about it. Thank you, thank you. A man says that. That's so, A bald man, yeah. Sometimes attraction gets confused and men are attracted to men and women. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, here's the deal. God wired us to be attracted to the opposite sex. Attraction is not the issue. It's what you do with the attraction that determines whether it's lust or not. And, and men, uh, guys say this, I can't help it, I'm a man. Well... A man acts according to his commitments, not according to his attraction. Boys act according to their attraction, not according to their commitments. I love my wife. I think she's beautiful. There are other women that I think are beautiful, but I am not going to follow any attraction other than to my wife. Does that not make sense? A sign of maturity is when you follow your commitments, not your attractions. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, run away from sexual sin. Here's a question for you. And I don't even mean... Have you ever seen somebody having sex while they're running a marathon? No! And I'm not trying to be perverse in any way. Here's the deal. I hear people all the time, I just couldn't help myself... And so I'm going to start saying to them, well, were you running? What? When you had sexual relations with that person, were you booking down the road? Well, no. Well, don't tell me you couldn't have done anything about it. Hop up and run. There's a story in the Old Testament where homeboy ran out the door in his underwear. It's better to be running down the road in your underwear than it is to commit adultery. We will forgive you for running down the road in your underwear. We will laugh at you and tell stories about you. But we will hold you up as an example of a man. Because that's what the Bible did. Joseph, on a daily basis, Potiphar's wife was on a daily basis, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. And he's like, no, I can't do that. It would be a sin before God. And one day she grabs his clothes, homeboy runs out of his clothes, runs outside half naked, got thrown in jail because the woman was scorned. She was ticked that he'd have sex with her, got thrown in jail. And all the time the Bible says, and God was with him and God was with him and God was with him in jail. When he was in slavery, God was with him and eventually God elevated him to the second in command of the kingdom because he obeyed God and eventually God always blesses the obeyers. Run from temptation. 
What are you doing, man? I'm running. (laughs) Number five, last one. Hang out with Christians. And I'm just going to say this, of the same sex. Some of you need to run from temptation. Others, you need to run from your current set of friends. You know, we did this whole series on friends. What did they influence you to do that you would not have done if they had not been around? And that's the friends that influence you to do the right things as well as the friends that influence you to do the wrong things. You need a set of friends who are going to encourage you. And I'm just going to tell you this. The Bible says clearly, you do not get well from your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups by yourself. It is always in the context of a body of believers and specifically some Christian friends that you can be so real with that will love you in spite of your failures. If you're not... This is why we say you got to be in a small group because you don't get well on your own. I don't care how long you attend this church. If you're not plugged in to celebrate recovery, which is small groups or some small group in a home, you will not progress in the spiritual life because it is a spiritual impossibility for you to become the person that God wants you to be in isolation. From a woman who's been clean now almost 14 months, who'd been addicted to drugs for 32 years, she got well in the context of a loving community of believers. Don't tell me you're going to get well from your hurts on your own, because you're not. And you don't have to broadcast it up here. But you've got to have somebody who's a Christ follower, who's loving you and encouraging you along the way. Hebrews 10.25, we should not stop gathering together with other believers as some of you are doing. Instead, we must continue to encourage one another. You need continuous encouragement. And some of you say, well, I tried small group and I just didn't like it. And here's a dirty little secret. They didn't like you either. And that's okay. Just say, I tried it once and there were weird people there. They thought you were weird. They're just too nice to say it. That's like saying, I went to a doctor, I didn't like my doctor, so I'm never going to doctors again. I went to a buffet, I didn't like the buffet, so I'm never eating again. That's just stupid. You need to be in a group, because you're not going to grow spiritually without it. And then finally, Galatians 6, 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. God brought you here today to say, don't give up. He's got something better than the life that you've been living. Don't give up, but follow the process. In recovery, you'll learn. If you ever come to that, you'll learn that the reason we keep going back to those old hurts, habits, and hang-ups is because we don't follow one of the steps. We ignore one of the steps at our own peril. Now, take your uh, registration cards, if you would, fill those out. And I want you to write down your number one issue on the back. And let me run through them real quickly. Daily time with God. If you've not been having that, you need to start there. So right, daily time. Fill your mind with truth. If you've been filling your mind with garbage and you need to fill it with truth, you write that down. Admit failures quickly. If you're the type of person that holds on to your past and never admits it, write that down. If you need to run from temptation because you're hanging out in the wrong places, write it down. And if you need to hang out with Christians, write that one down. Let's pray together and be dismissed. Father, I thank you that that I'm not the man I used to be. And it's all because of Jesus. And even though I'm not the man you want me to be, I've made progress because of Jesus. And it's my desire that these folks would not waste 
the progress that you've brought about in their lives, but they take a step today towards you and towards maturity and towards healing. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.